Well, praise God. Hi, everybody. We're so glad you're uh, joining us here tonight. We're so thankful that we can still be together through technology, even though we maybe aren't able to be together in the room right now. But we do look forward to the time when we get to look each other in the eye and say Maranatha. Mm -hmm. So we're going to praise the Lord now and settle our hearts, settle our minds before him. Why don't you join me? <clears throat> Thank you, Lord God. Thank you so much for your graciousness, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for caring for your people in these unprecedented times, Lord. Lord, we just submit ourselves to you. We submit our hearts to you, Lord, and we look to you as our Savior, Lord God, as our healer. Lord, we just pray that you would inhabit the praises of your people tonight. We just set everything aside, all distractions, Lord, and we turn our hearts to you. We thank you for this time, Lord. We pray that you would speak to us. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. This is my prayer in the desert When all that's within me feels dry This is my prayer in my hunger and need My God is the God who provides This is my prayer in the fire In weakness or trial or pain There is a faith proved of more worth than gold So refine me, Lord, through the flame I will bring praise I will bring praise No weapon formed against me shall remain I will rejoice I will declare God is my victory and he is here. This is my prayer in the battle when triumph is still on its way. I am a conqueror and co-heir with Christ so firm on his promise I'll stand. I will bring praise, I will bring praise, no weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice, I will declare, God is my victory and he is here. All of my life, in every season, you are still God, I have a reason to sing.
This is my prayer in the harvest When favor and providence flow I know I'm filled to be emptied again The seed I've received I will sow Thank you, Lord.
our strength and song. Highest praise to Him belongs. Christ the Lord, our conquering King. Your name we raise, your triumph sing. Praise the Lord, our mighty warrior. Praise the Lord. in your name we overcome, Lord. Holy, holy, holy. 
merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity, holy, 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 all the saints adore Casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, which word and you father lord and we just thank you lord for this time of worship lord we pray that it was pleasing to your ear lord lord we know that you are holy lord and we know lord that this battle has already been won lord and lord we just want to just thank you lord for just guiding us and protecting us lord let your words just resonate in our ears lord and just be embedded in our hearts lord so lord i just want to lift up this time of you lord I just pray, Lord, for Pastor Matt, Lord. Give him the words, Lord, and let him flow throughout his mouth, Lord. And let us just be able to take these words and whatever you want us to learn from this week, Lord, from this uh, today, Lord, and just take it on through this week, Lord. So we just ask these things in your just gracious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Good evening, Calvary. 
Good evening, church family. So good to be with you this evening. A few announcements um, just before we, we get into our study tonight. You can turn to Judges chapter 5. We've come as far as chapter 5 as I share a few announcements with you. Um, well, first I pray and I hope that all of you are doing well, uh, being safe. I know we've been lifting up um, Maria and Esther's grandma and Elsa as they've had some sickness. I think it's a flu. Praise God, the uh, test came back negative or anything else. Um, but there's so many in the body that we can be lifting up and praying for right now. And I just want to encourage us to, to really be praying without ceasing, to take this time to really just seek the Lord on our knees multiple times a day as Daniel did, and just really seek first the kingdom of heaven and trust all these other things will be added unto us. Today is an interesting day in that we find in the midst of Holy Week here, obviously, Passion Week, if you've been tuning into the daily devotions I've been putting up online, you've been tracking with us as we've been going through different accounts through Jesus' footsteps. And today we would see normally the silent days as it is. There's not really scripture for today, but uh, if you look at our calendar year today, the way it falls in, uh, as well, it, today is Passover, right? So if you think back thousands of years ago and what the Lord did there, uh, specifically as blood was put on the doorposts of, you know, basically the houses of the Israelites that were stationed in Goshen, that were living in Goshen, Pharaoh had given them that land because, again, being shepherds, they, uh, the Egyptians had not thought highly of shepherds at that time, so they had put them out in that land to dwell, um, and God had shown great favor to them. Um, well, then came slavery, as we know. They were you know, enlisting them in forced labor to make bricks and these things, and they cried out. And that's why I'm bringing it up to you tonight. It seems like every time, we're going to read this in the book of Judges, it's the same cycle that eventually people begin to humble themselves. And as difficult and as tragic as things get, as the calamities rise, people will eventually get to a point of where they are broken and their pride is squashed, and they begin to cry out, and they plead for help, right? And God is so faithful to answer that call. God heard his children Israel, and as you know, many of you know Passover, they went and they put blood upon the doorposts as they were told to do by God, and the angel of the Lord passed over those homes with the blood upon their doorposts. And the plague was spared for those children, for those people, the, the people of you know, Israel that way, the Israelites, the Jewish people. You know, ben, Benjamin Netanyahu today said, you know, in the reading of, you know, the Exodus, and you go through those passages, he says, you know, Today, with the coronavirus and COVID-19 and the plague that we have before us, he said something very interesting. He said, you know, it's been thousands of years since when we've read on the day of Passover those passages to where we can look now and actually see a plague before us. And we need, once again, God's hand of deliverance. Now, for you and I as born-again believers in Christ, we know that Jesus has placed that blood upon the doorposts again, but the doorposts of our heart. The doorposts of our heart that way. If you read Galatians, Galatians says that specifically that Jesus Christ 
came to do away with the curse of the law, that, that we would no longer be under the law and the curse that goes with the law. Jesus Christ, it was taken upon himself so that we do not have to walk that out. So we don't necessarily go back and celebrate Passover, right? Um, we know that was for the Jewish people and for a time, but we can certainly look to what God did and what God is doing in our very lives. Because right now, I think if we're at all in touch with what's going on around the world in the death and terrible destruction, I think we would be humbled to say, Jesus, we need you again. We need you to deliver us from a plague. We can't do it. There's not a man, there's not a government, no one. No one that can deliver us, only God. And it's interesting at that time, if you remember as Israel was fleeing and eventually they were released by Pharaoh, if you know the passage, I encourage you to go back and read Exodus if you, you know, don't remember that passage, but, or if you've never read it. Uh, as he's being delivered, you know what's interesting? Some of the Egyptians become part of the multitude and they go out, right, with Israel and are spared. And why am I bringing that up today? Because it's something the Lord was showing me. Just in the last week, we know there's been at least somewhere between five and 10,000 unbelievers that have asked Jesus Christ to come into their heart and now are believers and children of God. Just in the last week alone, we've been looking at some of the numbers that have been coming in from pastors in different areas, and it's been amazing to see what God is doing. Because often, as I said, he'll use a calamity to draw us close. Why? Because he loves humanity. He knit each and every person in, in their mother's womb. And there's a plan and a purpose. And that was to glorify God and spend eternity with him. Jesus talked about that in terms of reconciliation. He gave that revelation to Paul in 2 Corinthians. And that we too have a gospel of reconciliation. And so, lest your, your heart grow faint right now, and you're sitting home and saying, Lord, how much more the suffering and the struggle of the quarantine, or maybe you have contracted the COVID, maybe you've got the virus and you're beginning to get better and you've recovered or or maybe you're in the midst of it right now and you're saying lord what is the purpose you know we know god allowed this how many of us have prayed for revival for a long time right how many of us have prayed that lord many would come into the fold the flock how many and this week alone, just look at what God has done. Look at the kingdom of God and how it has been added to. Whenever there is oppression and persecution and difficulty, the church always, through the hand of God, begins to multiply. Friends, that's what we're seeing today. And I hope that brings you great encouragement. But I want you to notice the pattern that men do what's right in their own eyes. A period of time goes on. God allows and brings correction. 
instead of men immediately humbling themselves, they try to figure it out in their own intellect, in their own way, through terrible oppression and persecution, only to finally be humbled and then to turn around and plead to God for forgiveness and help. Now, friends, why did I go through that introduction? Because as we're going to go into the book of Judges, has anything changed under the sun? Thousands of years later, and we're seeing the cycle that we are living today. You have an action sermon right before you now. God is very much alive and well. His plans and purposes are alive and well. And it's exactly what we read in Scripture. And that brings me to the next announcement, and then we'll begin our word, our time in the word. The Madrid family reached out to me uh, yesterday, and then I spoke with them this morning, in regards to Ecuador. They have family and friends there that, uh, much like us, they've been quarantined. And because they've been quarantined there, um, it's not like America where we can buy a couple days or even a week's worth of groceries and then have a, some stored up in a fridge or in a fridge. Those modern conveniences don't exist in many other countries. Every day they go out. I, I had a friend from Morocco, from North Africa, I remember. Um, and he would describe to me how it was so foreign for him to not uh, to go when we would shop in college uh, we'd gather up the carts and, you know, we'd shop for a few days or at least a week's worth of food, the best we could afford. And, and he would buy a day's worth of eggs. He'd buy two eggs or, you know, he'd ask them, can I split the carton apart? Or the meat, he would say, how fresh is this meat? You know, and, and I remember asking one time, he says, well, we go to the marketplace every day. The, the meat is salted and it's hanging and it's preserved that way. And, and the egg is from the chicken that just that morning and everything is so fresh and, and it was foreign. They didn't supply, they didn't have like this big warehouse, you know, where we have these purchasing merchant warehouses, right? BJ's, Costco, you name them, you know, Sam's Club, where you can go in and buy all this food, and you've got the Wegmans and the, the grocery stores. I mean, uh, you know, praise the Lord for technology. But in a lot of other countries, they don't have that. And so they began to tell me that, unfortunately, the government is slow to respond, and they've quarantined to their house. And it's not like here where it's a stay in your house. No, you go out of your house there, you, you can get shot. It's, it's a whole lot different. And he was asking, you know, hey, can we help? Is there something we can do? And I said, well, for certainly we're going to begin to pray. Absolutely. So I want to I ask you all to pray for that country and for many other countries that are struggling that way. But the second thing I want to do is I want to ask you to join me. Um, if the Lord puts it on your heart, I would like us to um, put together a collection to send specifically to Ecuador, that we can buy food, rice, and beans for the next three to four months. That means we would want to raise somewhere around $3,000. My heart and my prayer is we can raise this. I know some of you are saying, but, but Pastor, we have a lot of going on in our own neighborhoods. And yes, we do, and we want to continue to meet all those needs. And I've said, if you have needs, call the church. We want to be there to help meet those needs. But the Madrid family assured me that People are dying there because the government isn't giving them food. There's no way they can go out and get provisions. And there's a gentleman that stepped up over there that's very good friends with them. 
And one set of collections already started to go over. They hopefully will get that today or tomorrow because, again, people are dying for starvation. And I know my Bible says that believers won't beg bread. And many times the way God works is by using us as the hands and feet. So if the Lord should lead you, I encourage you to go online. There's a giving tab. Under giving, there's a, the normal general giving, but then there's also something called benevolence under there, I believe. We have a tab for that. If it's in your heart or if you want to put a memo line, and even if it's $5, something like that, I, I just want us to be a part of what we read in our Bible every day. The early church, when there was a need in Jerusalem, they took a collection and they met the need in Jerusalem because the church had begun to expand in Jerusalem, right? We just, we just read about that as we finished 2 Corinthians, as Paul was going back to take the collection. This is our instruction manual. And when we see other people in need and hurting, what a wonderful opportunity as a church, we can come together, believers, to meet those needs for other believers all around the world. So I want to encourage you, if it's on your heart, to please just go online, whether it's tonight, tomorrow, or as you pray. And I've asked Liz and the children's ministry to contact the teachers as well as the children to go ahead and begin to make cards. And if you'd feel so led to write a card um, with a scripture verse, because my heart in prayer is that as we meet the needs of the, I don't just want them to be well-fed. I want them to get saved. I want them to know there's Jesus Christ loves them, is providing for them, and that there's a church in Harrisburg that right now has them right in the center of prayer and intercession. So, so friends, will you, will you join me in that? That we can, we can send that and um, send scripture and cards and let them know they're not forgotten. The church will never be forgotten. With that, I'd like to now ask us if we could just bow and pray. And then we'll get into the word here. Father, thank you, Lord, that you show us these things, these ways to be available, Lord, these ways to help and meet the needs of others. God, I pray you will move mightily. God, I pray you'll move mightily for this flock, for if there's needs here, Lord, that we'll meet every one of these needs. And God, thank you that you have been even paying our bills, Lord, the bills for the building. The, Lord, last month you met everything. You did it, Lord. You did everything. Nothing is too hard for you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, that you, you go before us. You, prepare, you give provisions for each and every family in their homes. Even those that are out of work right now, God, you are going to provide. Thank you, Jesus, that we never have to worry that way because our God is faithful. We lift up those in Ecuador right now, Lord. We pray, God, that you'll protect them and meet them. Protect them from the tyranny of government that can overstep and, and, and literally starve people to death. Lord, I pray that those families will get food. I pray you move quickly that we can be put into action to meet this need, Lord, and that we can get them rice and beans and all different types of things, Lord, that their bellies will be full, that they'll praise you, God, and that those that won't know you, Lord, We'll have brothers and sisters in Ecuador, Lord, that you'll add unto the church. And Lord, I, I really, I pray that for every country right now, Lord. I pray that for Morocco. I pray that for every country. I pray that for Israel, Lord. Yes, Lord, they're, they're, they're a wealthy country in some ways, but there are many that, uh, the Bedouins that go without, Lord. 
And during this time, I pray for them too, Lord Jesus. I pray as the Jewish people celebrate Passover tonight, Lord, as it begins tonight and all the way through tomorrow, that Jesus, they would see you and they would be reminded of the plague. They would be reminded of the deliverance from you, God. And they would look and say, our deliverer has already come. Our redeemer lives. God, I pray salvation for all of humanity, Jesus. You died so that everyone could be set right, so that everybody could be in right relationship with you. I praise you, Lord. I pray for those that are uh, currently New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, all around the United States that are struggling with the coronavirus. God, I pray that you will forgive our sin for the wickedness that we've uh, done against you and your holiness, Lord, your commandments and statutes. Forgive us all, Lord. Forgive us for our idolatry, Lord. Forgive us for murder. So many sins, God. Forgive us for all of our sin, for failing to put you before our traditions. And now, God, we would ask you, please deliver us from this plague. Stop this plague, Lord. Stop this virus. Lord, and let there be the greatest revival outbreak within the church, Lord. Fill these buildings with believers that want to lift your name on high and friends that are unbelievers that, Lord, come in and begin to lift your name on high. Do a mighty work, Lord God. For it is always for your glory, for your will and purpose. We ask all of this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen, amen, amen. All right, well, now we're turning our attention to Judges chapter 5. Judges chapter 5 here. We're going into the song of Deborah or Deborah, if you prefer. If you might remember in chapter 4, she and uh, Barak, right? She was a judge, and Barak had come around, and they basically went through and um, was called by God, she was, to be a deliverer. And Barak was to come alongside her and help in that way. And they went in and they had this military excursion to go against the people that were coming against, the, uh, particularly Israel, the people that were enslaving them, right? And she goes and she said that, you know, Hazar, if you remember him, king of Cana, who reigned, and Sisera. And we read that they were fighting with their chariots and everything that was going on. And and God gave them the victory. I mean, no other way possible to explain it, but God gave them the victory. Well, as we go into verse 1, we move into this song. Now, if you've seen songs in your Bible, uh, you should think of at least a few that you've seen. What are they always in celebration of, right? Deliverance. Usually deliverance or celebration. I draw your attention to uh, Miriam, Exodus chapter 15, right? Uh, David. First Samuel uh, 18, right? Remember he came in and, uh, and uh, Micah or Michelle, you know, his wife wasn't too happy about the way he was celebrating. But we begin seeing this. And so here's this beautiful, beautiful song of deliverance and celebration. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinom, sang on that day, saying, when leaders lead in Israel... When the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. This is a good principle, right? Um, you cannot lead without followers. One of the ways that you know that you're leading is when you look behind you and there are people following, right? 
Um, I think that's a pretty safe principle and assumption, right? Uh, Jesus Christ led the multitudes. Why? Because there were multitudes. And even when the multitudes went away, there were the apostles and the 70 or 140, right, of the early church. But when leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, you see that? When there's people that will stand in the gap and lead according to God's principles, according to his commandments and statutes, people will willingly offer themselves. Why? Because more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. People can talk a big game. You can say a whole lot of things. But until you're actually in that situation and your character and resolve is produced and you begin to see God's hand upon you, then you find out what leader or character you have before you. You know, in our last days, we know that shepherds, I think of this for, for pastors, for under rowers, it says that they're going to eventually do what? Many of them, not all of them, but many of them are going to do what? They're going to run and sheep are going to be scattered. I imagine right now, even with this coronavirus, there's probably men that have said, hey, maybe I'm going to look to do something different. Maybe this isn't for me. I pray God forbid. But the Bible tells us that in the last days, you know, people, their hearts are, are going to grow cold. They're going to abandon. This, this is a good instruction. Stand in the gap. Even if it's you and God, it's a multitude. But to lead means you also have to follow. Because who's the chief priest? Who's the chief shepherd of the church? I'm an under rower, right? I'm at the bottom of the boat, man. But who's leading the ship? It's Jesus. If it's anyone else, oh, don't get on that boat. You don't know where you're going. You don't know where you're going to end up. Somebody gets some cockamamie idea that, you know, we need to go over here. We need to go. Well, isn't that what Scripture says in the last days? They'll, he's over here. He's over there. Go here. Go here. You know, chasing. When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. Right? Speaking of heavy rains. The clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord, this Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, do you remember that? That's right before, that was the third judge before we moved in to chapter 4. It was the third judge within chapter 3, Shamgar, right? He says, the son of Anath, in the days of jail, the highways were deserted. It starts to tell us what it was actually like at that time. And the travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased. Well, I think we can relate to this a little bit today, don't you? I don't think we're striving for application here. I mean, we're all in quarantine in the state of Pennsylvania, and I imagine you and that are, that are watching this in other states, you're under a similar quarantine, if not something similar where they're, they're telling you, stay in your home, you know, be protected, right? We want to honor our, those in authority like that over us, as First Peter describes. But but it said village life ceased. I mean, life in America as we've known it has what? It's ceased, 
right? It ceased in Israel. What's it talking about? The idea here, interesting in the Hebrew, is not only like a stopping, but it can also describe an oppression, an oppression, an affliction. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods. Then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or a spear was seen among them, right? 40,000 in Israel. Now, I, I want you to think about this for a minute. What is the maneuvering of Satan? What is the maneuvering of the enemy? Going back to village life has ceased in verse 7. What does Satan do? Two things. You'll see it all the time in Scripture. And friends, it's coming to a country near you. It's coming to a city near you right now. I want to prepare you. Uh, I'm not a son of a prophet. I'm not a prophet, but I want to prepare you because there's two things we see happening in Scripture, and I believe it's going to happen very soon. Now, it, I don't know how it'll happen or when, but Satan does two things. He oppresses, and then he disarms. He oppresses, and he disarms. Pay attention. It's coming. There's already been articles out that I've seen in the last week or two because some pastor decided to have church, and certainly that's not advisable when people are getting sick and dying. Obviously, we want to follow the mandates of the law. But as government begins to reach in, it's very difficult for government then to do what? Take a step back. Often when government reaches in on civility of people, one of the things that can come from that is to mitigate um, disruption. What do we see here? They choose new gods. Then there was a war in the gates. Not a shield or a spear was seen among them. 40,000 in Israel. They couldn't find a single weapon. Why? <clears throat> because they were disarmed. Because that's exactly what the enemy does. He oppresses and then he disarms so that they couldn't fight back. Pay attention to what you see, the headlines. You know, whether it's, you know, weaponry that they want to turn around and confiscate, whether it's, you know, different things that are coming. Just, there's going to be a lot that is going to come from this. Yes, we may, Lord willing, as God will lead um, through his providence and through repentance and prayer, we may find ourselves through this virus and God's hand of deliverance upon us. But don't be mistaken that it's not over. It may be over from a viral perspective, but pay attention because the enemy is a lion seeking whom he can devour. He's not going to take and miss an opportunity at a crisis. He might move some of these men, some of these folks, hey, you know what? We need to stop this from ever happening again. Maybe we ought to implant a microchip. Have you been vaccinated? Have you been protected from this strain? Haven't you? Now, I don't know. I'm not saying, thus saith the Lord. I don't know. I'm just saying I'm calling attention to this because I know that Scripture points out there's oppression and then disarming. And that's where we'll see it through judges. It keeps going. We see that through those times, even in the intertestamental period of time with the Maccabees, right? Between the, New, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We saw it when the Roman persecution came. 
They weren't even allowed to carry out their own capital punishment anymore like they used to as an individual nation. So just pay attention and be praying for that as well. Be praying, Lord, you are sovereign. You are king. Lord, I pray you lift up our leaders and give them wisdom, godly wisdom from on high. Well, moving on. They took their weapons, and it says in verse 9, My heart is with the rulers of Israel, who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. You see, what this points out is she had a heart for others. She looked at the other leaders and rulers of Israel, and she said, who offered themselves? Because they were about the people, others focused. She had a heart for others, and she too was raised up. Bless the Lord. Speak, you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire. Speaking to civil, civil leaders here, fulfilling their responsibilities. And who walk along the road, far from the noise of the archers among the watering places. There they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villages or villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. You remember that's where much of the uh, government and the, much of the judging in, in happened at that time at the gates. Business was conducted at the gates. And it's interesting. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, and sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abiminom. That's the calling. That was the calling right there. Then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty. Now, what we're going to see in verses 14 through really around 18 is, is the Lord breaks it into two camps. Those that joined the Lord and those that did nothing and stood idly by. Because whenever you have calamity, you always have two camps. One camp that is aptly engaged to help be the hands and feet of Christ to do what as good soldiers need to do, right? And then you have the other half that are kind of like indifferent because it doesn't exactly involve their tribe or their family or someone they know. So just look at this here. From Ephraim, first he lists those that were favorable and actively involved, were those whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your people from Mekar, rulers came down. And from Zebulun, whose bear the recruiter's staff, and the princes of Ishakar were with Deborah. Do you see that? As Ishakar, so was Barak, sent into the valleys under his command among the divisions of Reuben. Now we get into the next grouping, the next grouping of tribes, right, that were not engaged. Among the divisions of Reuben, there, were, there was there were great resolve of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings of the flocks? The divisions of Reuben had great searching of heart. They have great searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and why did Dan remain on ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. Zebulun is a people who jeopardize their lives to the point of death. Now, 
we see one other that came to the ranks, Naphtali, right? Naphtali, also on the heights of the battlefield. So ending on a positive note with another tribe that was actively engaged. The kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought in Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens. Do you see that? God gave the victory. That's what it's saying. God fought this battle. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. They, they fought from heaven. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. This is important. This is describing the floods. Why am I bringing this up? Do you remember when they were on the heights? If you look back at chapter 4, right around verse 12, and they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Ebenom, had gone up to Mount Tabor, so Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, <clears throat> and all the people were with him from Harashith Hegeom to the river Kishon. And what ends up happening? Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Have you not, has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 of his men. Now, again, we talked about that. What's significant is that they have chariots. Sisera had all these chariots, right? 900 of them. Certainly, chariots can't come up and fight up on mountainous-type plains. They're going to have to come down to a flat plain. Well, how did God destroy them? What he did is he caused a flood to happen, and all their chariots were useless because they were enamored or completely uh, submerged within mud. And then, as, um, as Deborah was... Uh, says, up to Barak, go now, right? The Lord has gone before you. What happens? 10,000 men go down, and they're able to fight in the battle. And, and God gives victory, right? So where was this battle fought from again, as God said? It was fought from the heavens, right? From the stars. He's, he's describing how God had given the victory. Verse 20. O my soul, march on in strength. Then the horses' hooves pounded, the galloping, the galloping of steeds. Curse, Meraz, said the angel of the Lord. We're not told why, but obviously this city didn't help. The city didn't help in any way. Curse its inhabitants bitterly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed among women, Jael, Jael, the wife of Heber the Canaanite. Now, isn't this interesting? Isn't verse 24 interesting? You know, this is a good instruction for us as well. Why is she being called blessed? I mean, after all, if you remember, what did she do? She invited Sisera to come into a tent. She made warm milk. What's warm milk going to do? Make you a little sleepy, right? He asked for water. She gave him more milk. He falls asleep, thinking that he's with an ally that way. And then what does she do? She takes a tent stakes and, and drives it right through his skull, basically through his temple like that, right? Because in, in those days, women were the ones that erected the actual tents back then. So she clearly knew her way around a hammer and a stake. But what's the lesson here? Why is she being called blessed? Because in that ancient time, it was customary that if you were inviting someone into your home or your tent, that you were to provide protection for them. So what's going on here? Well, she's blessed because she was obedient to God. And she put her obedience to God greater 
than her loyalty to tradition. That's what she was doing. She elevated her obedience to God over the loyalty to the tradition of the culture. And I think that's what's needed today again. There's so many that have got caught up in cultural norms that they've allowed their traditions to outweigh their obedience to God, right? Instead of God being here and their traditions here, it's like this. And until God will never be second, he's always preeminent, number one. Until God is here and the equation is correctly balanced, there's going to be calamity. Well, most blessed among women, the wife of Heber the Canaanite, Blessed is she among women in tents. He asked for water, she gave milk. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera, she pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, he, he lay still. That's really important because in the ancient times to say that you, and I know today we would never... It wouldn't matter, but back then, because of the position of a woman compared to a man in that culture, they would have said, the woman took your life. Kind of, you know, the woman is the one that did this to you. That's what it's kind of saying. This woman, this blessed woman has done this. He's saying that she was given victory by God. Excuse me one second, I'm going to take a sip of water here. Speaking of water. It goes on to say that at her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. <clears throat> the mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariot? Speaking of his mother. This is, a little, this is heavy, man. It's a little bit of a dig right here in the song to the mother of Sisera. You know, why tarries the clatter of his chariot? Her wisest lady answered her. Yes, she answered herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil? To every man a girl or two? This is speaking in that day and unfortunately speaking to the captives as they caught the women to fulfill their lust. For Sisera plundered and dyed garments, plundered, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed. Two pieces of dyed Embroidery for the neck of the looter. It's heavy. Thus, let all your enemies perish, O Lord. You know, loving God means that we must hate his enemies. Loving God means we have to hate his enemies. But let those who love him be like the sun. Aren't, aren't you glad to be in that camp, the camp that loves God? I'm glad to be in that camp. When it comes out in full strength. So the land had rest, and look at this, 40 years. The land had rest 40 years. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So now we're going to see the cycle begin again. Why? Because there was 40 years of comfort. And then what happened? A generation later, some 30 plus years is a generation, complacency sets back in. 
I just heard again a headline today. This is the worst plague in over a generation. And I wasn't surprised that I heard that. Especially after the passage we're in, when it says it's a generation, you know, and when you look at this 40 years. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. So now we see the Midianites now. We're going to be in context the next judge. We're going to be learning about Gideon as that next judge. First, they're going to have to send a prophet because that's how far they've fallen. Then they can raise up, God will raise up the judge Gideon and they'll turn back to God. Do you see that cycle? I believe we're in that cycle right now. That's what's happening right now in, in the world. We're in that cycle. And the sooner we ple- you know, repent and humble ourselves and cry out to God, with, with earnest in our hearts, by the way, not just saying empty words, but true cut to the heart, is the sooner we'll see this plague, this pandemic, over. And then we just pray not for another 40 years of complacency. And at the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves dens. Just think about how humiliating this is. The caves and the strongholds which are in the mountains. We just finished the book of Joshua. And they had been given the inheritance of the land, the land flowing with milk and honey and you know, moving from this, you know, shepherding type mentality to growing fruits and vegetables and living off the land, no longer having to wander in the wilderness and be fed manna, manna a la king, manna a la French, manna something every day, you know, manna Italian, I don't know. They didn't have to do this every day, right? They, they were going to have all this purpose. And what, to now, because they compromised right in the book at the end of Joshua and then right in the book first prologue, first two chapters of Judges, they turn around and they find themselves back in this place? Captivity. It was their own doing because they chose not to obey God. Friends, that's exactly what happens. When you're not following God, you're following someone else. You're serving someone. The question is, who's your master? You have a master. Even if you think you're your master, you're not. You're serving someone else. Whether it's a fad, an idea, an ideology, you're serving something. I want to serve the one true living God. I don't want to serve anything that's going to be revealed to be false and empty. What a waste of time. What a waste of life. Well, the humiliation here, they're in caves and strongholds which are in the mountains. Again, we know how it works. We're going through it right now. Humility comes before what? Before repentance, before right relationship, before righteousness. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, the Midianites would come up, also the Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. Now, is this interesting? This is interesting to me. Did you catch that? They didn't actually come up to occupy the land, did they? They're coming in and coming out. Why are they doing that? Because they're coming in to steal the food. 
And then they're destroying the land and they're leaving. They don't even want the land to like live there. They just want to steal the resources. You know, we talk about energy czars. People that want to go in and, you know, oil and natural gas and, you know, who's going to control that? They don't care about the land or the people. They just want the resources. As a matter of fact, if you look at prophecy, and we're students of prophecy, 27% of your Bible's prophecy, what does it say in Ezekiel chapter 38? What's going to be the hook that's used that we may see in our lifetime, if not in ours, certainly we're raptured out. That's why, because I'm certain it's going to happen. Isn't it? And what's going to happen? It's because the hook gets placed in the jaw, right? Look at Gog and Magog. And it's all tied to the booty. It's all tied to the resources. and the it's, Again, friends, I keep, I, I keep pointing this out, church, because there's nothing new under the sun. And the sooner we learn God's cycle, what God is showing us here, the sooner we can get in right relationship with him, the sooner that our world can get in right relationship with him instead of kicking against the goads. It's futile. It's futile. God is the ancient of days. There's not been a nation that's been able to overcome God. There's not been a person or a government that's been able to outwit and outsmart or outdo God. Do we think the United States of America and, and, you know, because we're one of the greatest countries on the earth right now, that somehow we're above the word of God and his commandments and statutes? God founded this country based on his word. We changed it. We can't blame God for that. God has been long-suffering. God is long-suffering. But the good news is God, because he's the ancient of days, his character doesn't change. What is God after? Reconciliation. So once you understand who the master is, and once you begin to understand the, the, what's needed or what's desired, then guess what you can do? You can solve the equation, can't you? So what do we all need to do? We need to repent humble ourselves, get right with God, follow his commandments and statutes, trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and watch God pour out blessing because he wants to bless us. He wants to do well and good for his children. He likes to give good gifts to his children. But parents, grandparents, if you're grandson or your son or your daughter is not behaving and they're being disobedient, are you going to reward the disobedience? Certainly not. What would you be doing if you did that? You'd be sending a mixed signal. It'd be confusing. The audio and video wouldn't match. Well, that's what he's doing with Israel. That's what he was doing with Israel. He was, he was saying, come on now, come back. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. They left nothing. There's, remember what I said? What, is the, what does the enemy do? He oppresses, and then what does he do? He disarms every single time. Look, write those two notes in your Bible somewhere. As we keep turning the, the pages through these chapters of Judges, look, it's a reoccurring theme. 
Is, 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 is God changed? Is he not the Ancient of Days? Why today do we think it's any different? The enemy is oppressing right now. And the enemy is going to disarm. He's going to try to disarm. You know what he wants to really disarm us from? Not just our guns and things like that for protection. You know what he's really after? He wants to steal the word of God from your heart. He wants you to worship him and not the one true Savior, Jesus Christ. And he'll stop at nothing to convince you otherwise. You know, it's interesting. When men and women are in times of terrible calamity, they'll give up all of their civil rights for a piece of bread and for protection. When people are in calamity, will they lose their own soul to gain the whole world? He warns us. He warns us against these things. Friends, open your eyes. See it. It's prophetic. This is prophetic. This is the word of the Lord. It's prophetic tonight. Going forward and how he's speaking to us. We, we couldn't have planned this. We could never have aligned the timing that we knew what was coming and that we would just be in the book of Judges and then starting a new book on Sunday in the book of Galatians and the early church and how they were to conduct themselves. God's gone before this church. He's gone before us to prepare us and how we ought to think and how we ought to live during these times. And none of it says be afraid. None of it says be anxious. None of it says, hey, I caught you off guard. No. He knows he caught us off guard. That's why he said, make sure your oil's in your lampstand. Be ready. But even them, the, the virgins, what, you had to wake them up, right? Okay, come on. Ten of them, five were ready. Five didn't even have oil. Jesus warned us about these things. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts, but they and their camels were without number. Both they and their camels were without number, and they, were, they would enter the land and destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished, impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Isn't that what they do? Every time they cry out, they humble themselves and cry out to the Lord. And it came to pass, but by the way, how long did it take them? I, let me point that out. I pointed that out before last Wednesday. How long did it take them? Look back to verse 1. How long? Seven years. That's right. Can you imagine the pride that you wouldn't call out, cry out to God? Man, I'll tell you what. Coronavirus came. I was on my knees crying out to God. I don't even think 24 hours passed. I don't even think it had hit America and I was already crying out to God for repentance because I could see his hand and I could see prophetically what he was doing because I'm a student of scripture and so are you. I'm not a prophet or son of a prophet. We are all children of God, believers in Christ that is. We know the word and he's given this to us that we're not walking around blind. We're, we're, we're not blind to the things that are happening. So they cry out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet, unnamed, right? Doesn't say who it is, to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. 
Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you'll dwell. He says, I told you. What do you what, why did you allow yourself to be enslaved that way? He says, I, I was, I'm with you. Friends, God is telling us the very same thing right now. What are you afraid of? I am with you. That hasn't changed. That's never going to change. Because nobody can open the hand of Jesus Christ. Only God himself opens his hand. Nobody opens the hand of God. Nobody can force that hand open and take one of his sheep. I praise God for that. I never have to worry about that. Aren't you glad you don't have to worry about that? Praise you, Jesus. So the son named prophet gives this declaration, speaking as a mouthpiece for the Lord. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But here it is. Why have you gone into this captivity? Why are you facing this calamity? Because what didn't you do? You didn't obey. You have not obeyed my voice. That's all God's looking for is obedience. And you know the strange and interesting thing about it? Is the obedience is for our own good. The obedience is actually protection. No different than if you saw your, your little toddler running up and touching the stove to turn a flame. You're going to grab their hand and pull it back, right? Might even, you know, move it. Don't do that. Why? Is it, are you being cruel? They want to do it. Let them do it. No. Why? Because they could burn their hand and be incredibly hurt. And God's trying to protect his people. And then they, they get themselves in a, a muck. And then what happens? We cry out. And then he says, but you, you need to listen and obey. You're going to keep digging that hole. You fill it back in. Actually, God fills it back in. And then what do you do? You go digging the hole thinking there's treasure there again. You just dug, you dug the hole out. You know there's nothing in the ground. But somehow you see the dirt back in there and you go to the same hole and dig it again and think you're going to get treasure. You, you get what I'm saying here. It means going the ways of the wide path, the broad way, and expecting somehow that the world is going to give you the blessings and fulfillment that you so desire. It's all an illusion. It's all an illusion. You're never going to find contentment, completeness in anything of the world. It's only temporary. It's only temporary. It will always be a desire for more or something different. There's been experiments. You took people that were impoverished, give them millions of dollars. They buy everything, and you know what? They're bankrupt within a year or two. People that win the lottery. Look up sometime how many people that win the lottery end up bankrupt or poor just years later. Why? If it was the money that was going to make them happy, if it was their social status that was going to make them happy, then why aren't they Bill Gates or somebody wealthy like that? You know, one of these billionaires. Why? Because it's all vanity and it's empty. They buy all the fun things, and you know what? Then they start buying other things because they keep buying. If it was truly that one special item that was going to make them happy, they wouldn't be bankrupt. They'd have bought that one item. Even if that item was $100,000 and they won a million, they still got 10%, you know, they only spent 10% of it. 
They'd take that other 900,000 and they would do good with it, however that looked for them, which the Lord would lead them. But that's not what happens. Why do we think we're different? Why do we think we're so superior that we're going to outwit and outsmart God? You see, I, I only bring this up because if it wasn't a reality, friends, we wouldn't be here. I'd be looking at you in person. I'd be looking at you face to face. This is happening. Pastor, are you saying it's judgment from God? I'm saying God allowed it. I'm not saying God authored it, but I do know this. He allowed it. And when, again, God is ready to end this because of the right timing and because of the hearts of his people being submitted and prayerful, we'll see a deliverance again. It's going to happen one way or another, friends, whether it's through the rapture plan, and I'm all about the rapture plan, right? Or it's he ends this calamity and we get with right hearts before our Lord and we serve him and he tarries for a number of years and then the rapture plan. <laughs> Notice I keep going back to the rapture plan. Yes, right? Well, let's, let's finish up. You know, we got another few passages here, another 10 or 15 verses with our time. I want to finish up this chapter here. I, I think you get the point of why I keep going back to what what the Lord is doing, because it is just smacking us right in the face. And I mean that in the most gentle and loving way, with the days we're living in, what was happening here, because you have not obeyed my voice. I just, I don't think God, um, I don't think this is coincidence. <laughs> I don't believe in that. I believe God has given us a word. I believe he's given Calvary Chapel Harrisburg here, West Shore, a word. And I believe we're to take this word and we're to give it to other people and we're to let them know why these things are happening and we're to point them to Jesus Christ and to point them to pray for deliverance. And the minute that we see repentance and deliverance, I or repentance, excuse me, I believe we're going to see deliverance. That's why I'm bringing this up. Now, we're going to be introduced to Gideon, another judge. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was the Oprah, or Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Again, this is not normal. You don't thresh wheat in a winepress. Normally, you're at a top of a mountain or an area where you're going to get a lot of air movement so that as you take the chaff and the wheat and you lift them both up together, they separate. The wheat drops or the chaff, the wheat will blow, the chaff will drop because it's heavier. And then you'll turn around and you'll take the winnowing fan fork, however you prefer to say it, and you'll gather it all up. The rest gets thrown into the fire. We've read a parable about that in our New Testament, haven't we? Right? So what was happening is because of the calamity, because they weren't obeying the voice of God, here Gideon, although faithful because he's working and he's engaged, you know, he, he's turning around and doing this in a wine press in an area that's hidden. Not a lot of air movement, not able to do what was naturally supposed to be done because he's trying to hide it from the, the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man, you mighty man of valor. Now, this is a theophany, right? A theophany is really an appearance of Christ in bodily form before, um, before the appearance 
his immaculate appearance there in Bethlehem. That's what we call a theophany, right? Now, we know in John chapter 1, verse 18, it tells us that no one has ever seen the bodily form of God the Father, right? So we know that it's not God the Father. We certainly know that the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, and we never see that, the Holy Spirit, and we never see him in every type of bodily form. He's spirit, and he's in a spiritual form, just like much like God the Father that way. But Jesus, on the other hand, the second person of the Trinity, he, we did see because he came and was what? Flesh and dwelt among us. So clearly this is talking about Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord, because it can't be the Father, John 1.18, can't be the Holy Spirit because the Spirit doesn't take on bodily form. Therefore, it must be Jesus Christ. So an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken and delivered us into the hand of Midianites. Everything he just said is absolutely true, isn't it? But what was the reason again? Verse 10, but you have not obeyed my voice, right? So God has already given the answer. Gideon is looking for the answer. The prophet spoke it into the land. Gideon must not have heard what the prophet said, but now nonetheless has the answer. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. Now, what's he talking about? He's, he's talking a teachable or a humble way. And you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. I have not seen you. He's not talking about Gideon as like he's got this amazing strength or amazing faith. No, his might was his teachability, his humility, because in the midst of all this oppression, what is Gideon doing? Is he sitting home and going, woe is me? No, he's out working. He's trying to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's providing. He's doing whatever he can, right? And you notice how God always calls men and women that are busy in labor? Did you ever notice that? Moses was shepherding, you know, out there. You know, I think of David. He was watching the, you know, the ewes, the, you know, the little sheep and everything. It seems like God always called Deborah, right? Deborah was down at the gates, and she was seeing all the things going on. And, you know, Deborah stood up, and, you know, the Lord called her that way as a judge. And now we see Gideon, you know, here he is, he's working. Notice that God isn't, you know, people that are sitting, you know, on the sidelines going, Lord, use me, but I don't know why nothing's happening. Why isn't anything happening? God, why aren't you using me, right? And what's God doing? God's looking for people that are willingly looking for opportunities to serve, others focused, and God will use those people. And he'll say, okay, you know, you've been entrusted with little, now I'll give you more, much more. He keeps entrusting them with more and more, right? From the ham of the Midianites, have I not sent you? So he said to them, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? He's like, and he's right to ask that. How can I do that? Correct. Indeed, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the very least of my father's house. You know what Gideon needed? Gideon needed assurance from God, didn't he? We need assurance from God, don't we? We need assurance. Gideon needed that same thing. And the Lord said, surely I will be with you. Notice that. He already knew what Gideon was thinking. You shall not defeat the Midianites. Excuse me. And you shall defeat the Midianites. When I read that one, yeah, he does defeat them. <laughs> you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Right? What's he saying here? He says, I'm going to be with you. And he says, and I'm going to do the work. You shall defeat them. 
Notice he didn't point to self-conscious. He didn't, he didn't tap Gideon on the, on, you know, on the button and says, hey, Gideon, go get him. You got this. No. No, he says, Gideon, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you, and Gideon, it's going to happen just as I said. For my word is trustworthy. Thus saith the Lord. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign. It is you, God, in other words, Jesus, who talked with me. Now, this is interesting. What is that telling you? That's telling you that Gideon's really not sure who he's entirely talking to at this moment. He knows it's an angel of the Lord, but he's kind of like, really? Is it you? Is it really you? You know, it's, it's okay. It's not a bad thing. Is this really you, God? Let me ask you a question. What do you do if something, you know, comes across your, your, your bow that way? And it's maybe something that's just very rare, but it's not in the Word of God. Let me give you an example. Should I take this new job? You know, you read your Bible, and the Bible says it's good to work. That was precurse, right? People worked in the garden, so working is good. That's a good thing if you're able to do that. So it's not a question of should I work. Yes, if you can. The question is, okay, now that I'm working, what should I do? What job should I take? Well, you may not necessarily read the Bible and him say, oh, you're going to be a plumber, you know, or you're going to fix up houses, or you're going to be in IT, or you're going you're to do whatever, right? Or you're gonna, whatever it might be, right? So you want to do what? You want to test the spirits, right? You want to test the spirits and know, is it of the Lord? That's all Gideon's doing right here. He, he wasn't sure. He says, do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offerings and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from the ephah of flour, the meat, uh, the broth, sorry, the meat he put in the basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out his end of the staff um, that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. There was a sign, right? So before he thought, well, is it an ordinary man? Now he knows he got his sign, and it's who? It's God, Jesus speaking to him. Now Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. Notice that, verse 22, he perceived. Now he knows, because he had asked for a sign, and God answered that. What does that tell you? God is merciful. God doesn't get angry if you turn around and say, Lord, can you just confirm my steps? Can you just confirm your word to me so I know? God doesn't get disgusted with you or upset like, What's wrong with you? I already told you once. God's not like that. God's nothing like that. God is long-suffering. He's loving. He understands our hearts. And when we just want assurance or we just want to be certain that, that to, so we can obey, God will often answer that for us. So Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Again, that's how we know it's not God the Father. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Now that's interesting. Gideon didn't say anything about that, did he? But if God put it in there, God's not wasting words. What do you think Gideon was feeling? Gideon was afraid, and he thought, guess what? I'm going to die. 
That's exactly what was running through the grid of Gideon's mind at that moment. He's sitting there like, oh my gosh, I just met Jesus. That was awesome. He just consumed the fire, you know, right out of a stone. Oh man, I'm going to die. I'm supposed to go out and do what he's, I'm going to die. This is not going to end well, right? It's sort of quasi-normal response. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, and look at this. This is beautiful. For those that worry about what it's going to be like to stand before God, stand before Jesus. Look at what the name of this place is. The Lord is peace. Gideon at that moment was afraid. He was fearful. He thought he was going to die. The very presence of God, as he built an altar, you know what happened? The peace of the Lord came upon him in such a way that Gideon was no longer afraid, was he? Gideon was not afraid he was going to die at that moment, was he? No, he said, the Lord is peace. Being in the presence of God is a perfect peace. It's nothing to be feared. Yet every time in Scripture when we see an angel or a theophany or a Christophany or something like that, what happens? Right down to the ground. Prostate right in the lowest position you can be. And then God always says, do not be afraid. Over and over again, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. To this day, it is still an Ophrah to the Abiturites. Now it came to pass that same night that the Lord said to him, take your, father, the young, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal, and your father, and your father has... No, notice that, by the way. It wasn't uncommon at that time. I know today we, we, we struggle with that. What do you mean? How could he be following Yahweh or God, but at the same time worshiping, worshiping Baal? Uh, back in those time, in those days, it wasn't uncommon that you could have an altar to Baal, right? This this god of uh, false god of pagan god of uh, the weather, and you got to remember they needed rain because they wanted their produce to grow. So they, you know, superstitious. They wanted, and then they would also pray to the god of Yahweh, you know, the Lord. So he tells them, hey, before you go out and do anything, you know where the first change needs to be made in your own heart and in your own house. That's where all changes are made. It always begins in your own heart and your own house. Before you should go and tell somebody else about that beam in their eye, you should do what? Take the beam out of your, ask God for forgiveness for the what? The beam in your own eye. Do you see how God's word it just cooperates. It just, Jesus' word as he came, he gave understanding to the scriptures. He gave exegesis to the scriptures in the Sermon on the Mount. It goes right back here because of the traditions that were going on at that time. He says, look, he cut down the wooden image that beside it. Cut it down, right? And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which shall, you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did, the, <clears throat> did as the Lord had said to him, but because he feared his father's household and the men of cities too much to do it by day, he did it by night. You couldn't hide that. You're going to come out and see a, t- a trampled, uh, knock-down uh, false idol, right? And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was an altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. Now, 
Again, this worship of Baal was tied to the pagans in the land before Israel came into the land because they had worshipped this god, this false god for weather, again, agricultural purposes and prosperity. That's what was being done. So when this, their false god was taken down, fear came over them. What are we going to do? You just, now, now what's going to happen to our produce? How are we going to live? All these kind of things were probably going through the mind. That's why these men were so angry at Gideon and his father, specifically Joash, right? Why is this happening here? Okay. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all those who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Very, very logical, isn't it? A very logical argument. If this Baal or Baal is real and he's not made by human hands, oh, by the way, he is, then let him plead for himself. But if nothing happens, guess what? <laughs> Stop worshiping a god that you make with your own hands. Do you, do you see the foolishness of this? And yet today it's happening. Idolatry is rampant. Oh, pastor, I don't see people walking around with little statues that they sit down in the middle of the day and bow to. No, really? You may not see a statue that they're bowing to, but they're certainly bound to a piece of paper that's got green writing on it. They're bowing to uh, a whole lot of things. Selling their souls for prosperity. That's fleeting. God, set to, God came to set captives free, not to ensnare them. The devil is the one that oppresses and then disarms. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubal, or Jerubabal, because that means, obviously, a man against whom Baal is striving and conquered, right? That's what it means, or specifically, um, let Baal plead, if you prefer. Let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together and they crossed over and they encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew the trumpet and the Abizrites gathered behind him, Abizrites. And I think this is interesting. As we see in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes on a specific person for a specific time, Right? That's how it's always done in the Old Testament. Um, and if you read Judges chapter 7, we won't get there tonight, and you look at verse 30, or sorry, verse 3, you'll see there's roughly, what, 32,000 that follow Gideon. Isn't that amazing? Remarkable. Again, as Deborah had sung, when leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, Right? And he sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh who gathered behind him. And he also sent messengers to Asher, or to Asher, Zebulun, and to Naphtali. And they came up to meet him. Um, God assures, you know, Gideon's doubts now. And we'll close with this, verses 36 through 40. So Gideon said to God, I will save Israel by my hand as you have said. Look, I shall put a fleece 
sorry, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece and a bowl full of water, right? Now, at this point, many of you, I've had people in the fellowship over the years ask me questions, well, is that sinful? Is it sinful? To, we even use the term, what do people say? Throw out a fleece. We use it as our Christianese, right? Throw out a fleece, man. You don't know what to do, throw out a fleece. Oh, I can't do that. That's a lack of faith. No, no, that's not what you read just now. Gideon asked for confirmation. Right? He asked for confirmation and assurance once before. God answered that. Gideon says again, Lord, just so I understand, is this correct? What becomes sinful, if I can say it that way, is what happens next. God answers, but then Gideon goes, are you sure? Now, we don't want to beat up Gideon because every one of us, if we're being really honest and transparent, what have we done? Are you sure, Lord? Because that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me being that I'm not God and all, and I know you are, but, right, <laughs> I'm, I'm making fun of myself. But we do that. We do that. I want you to see something so important here. God is not like any earthly father or earthly parent. God doesn't go, I already done did told you, right? He doesn't say it like that, right? God doesn't turn around and come out and go, are we going to do this again? Did I stutter? God didn't do anything like that. God is merciful. God didn't slam Gideon in any way. If you need to go to the Lord and you already know in your heart, you can't hide it from the Lord. If you need assurance because there's something going on in your life and you need to know, God, am I going to be okay? Are we going to be okay? Is the situation we're about to enter going to be okay? Lord, should I take this job? Should I stay in school? Should I do this or shouldn't I do that? There is nothing wrong with turning around and going, God, I need assurance. I need confirmation because he already knows you're thinking it. He already knows you're thinking it anyway. So why not just honor God and say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. Speak. Your servant is listening. And then when he tells you, you can take the fleece and you can put it down and say, God, I just want to confirm it. Will you show me in the word? Or Lord, boy, I don't know that there's something specific about this. Lord, will you confirm it through, I don't know, somebody will walk in and say, X, Y, Z. And I'll know it's of you, right? All the things we do that, and God is so gentle and merciful. He just, okay, right? Now, then Gideon said to God. Now, here's where, again, Gideon knew. He says, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray. What, what should have Gideon have done? At this point, God already assured him. He already, commit, he already uh, had, you know, weighed in. He already proved what he said. The sign was answered. God, uh, Gideon should have obeyed, shouldn't he have? Gideon should have obeyed at this point. But what happens? Again, God is still merciful because he goes and says, don't be angry, but let's speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry on the fleece, but on the ground all around, let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew all on all the ground. Why did Gideon, why did Gideon ask God again? Because Gideon 
needed to know. Gideon should have obeyed, but in spite of Gideon's frailty, in spite of Gideon's weakness, he goes to God. Notice he didn't try to figure it out himself. Praise God. He went to God and said, God, I know you've done this. Don't get angry with me, Lord. But just one more time, can you please confirm? I really, really want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. This is a big deal. After all, we just talked about it near the Terebinth tree, remember? I was uh, nervous, fearful. You know, I thought, I'm afraid for my life. And you told me, don't worry. You're, you're going to be with me and you're going to give victory over the Midianites that way. Lord, I just want to make sure I'm not losing my mind, that I'm hearing you and that your yes is yes and your no is no. And you know what? If we approach God that way, just as the biblical example we see here, we shouldn't expect God to slap us down. God doesn't do that. Again, maybe I or you or somebody else would respond that way, but God never would. He's a gentleman. And he's so compassionate because he knows what's going on in your heart. Now, we're not to, we're not to do it to... And I know it was a testing here, right? He says, let me test. But God also says in the word, do not, what? We're not to test the Lord our God, are we? We're not to do that. That's how we know this really shouldn't have done that, Gideon, for a second time. But God is also merciful because he knew that Gideon really needed to hear that. He knew, he knew that Gideon really needed that confirmation. And I hope that's a word of encouragement. You know, with all the things going on and you're, you know, you're wondering, Lord, what's going to happen tomorrow? Well, first of all, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, for today has its own worries. He may rapture us tonight. And all that worrying, would it do anything? Will it change any hair on your head? Will it do anything? It's not going to change your financial outlook outlook or picture. It's not going to balance your portfolio any different. It's not going to somehow help you uh, in any way. Worrying robs you. It doesn't help you. God has the answer through compassion and peace. So when you're feeling uncertain, when you're doubting, run to Jesus. And don't, don't say, Lord, I know I'm doing this again. I can't believe I'm blowing it. Don't do that. He knows your heart. You go to him on your knees and say, Father, I need you. Show me your ways. Again, your servant will speak, O oh Lord. Your servant will listen. Well, that's my prayer for us here tonight. That these days ahead, there is some uncertainty before us. We have not traveled down this road before, but your God has. You have a big God, and he has. God has seen plagues and delivered people from them. God has seen calamities and judges, and he's gone through, and the cycle has continued. And Israel is back in their land as a nation since 1948 because God's a promise keeper. So, friends, I want you to know tonight, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter about the anxiety, maybe your anxiety is at an all-time high, Go to the Lord. What are you waiting for? If you don't know Jesus, ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Receive his perfect peace. If you do know God, it's time to lay it down. Lay it down before the throne. Take up that perfect peace that he, and that assurance he wants to give you. And don't try to keep it hidden from God. He knows. Let his perfect peace surpass 
all of your understanding. All right? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Jesus, for your good holy word. We thank you that you settle hearts and minds. Lord, and just the assurance you wash us in, just the, the power of your love and majesty. Thank you for preserving these accounts for us, that as we study this, Lord, thousands of years ago, Lord, I know I, I could literally put myself right in the shoes of Gideon, Lord. I could literally see Deborah. I could see, you know, Barak. I could see it all happening before us, God. Lord, the cycle continues. Jesus, I pray forgiveness for our country and this world. Uh, start with my own heart. Forgiveness for my sin, Lord. Forgiveness for our sin. I pray for all those that are struggling today. God, I pray today is the day of salvation. Lord, I pray you'll heal those that have been infected with this corona disease and that they'll have an opportunity to place their faith and trust in you. And God, for families that have been separated, I pray, God, that you'll bring them back together. God, I pray what the enemy has oppressed and disarmed. I pray, God, you'll unite and you'll just build up and encourage. Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. Our God lives and we will serve you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Lord, we will be others focused. Praise you, God. Deliver us from our captivity. Deliver us from this plague, Jesus. We ask this and pray this in your holy and mighty name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people prayed, amen. God bless you all. I love you all. And don't forget to tune in 8.30 on Sunday. We'll be replaying 8.30's service at 10.30. You can watch it via recording. Um, you don't have to go to live at 10.30. You just go to uh, watch the recording on the Subsplash app or on the website or YouTube or Facebook, and you can watch it at 10.30. But it will be live streamed if you want to join us at 8.30 this Sunday, Lord willing, if he doesn't rapture us first, and we're going to be beginning the book of Galatians. God bless you. I love you. And church, remember, Maranatha. Maranatha. Your redemption draws nigh, draws near. God bless you all.